Hello and welcome to Restorative Cities. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. Restorative Justice on the Rise is so pleased to present to you this conversation with Dr. Tayasha Bankhead and Tyrese Sherrill from Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth. This was a pre-launch event session that leads into our January through December 2018 Connection Series, where both Dr. Bankhead and Tyrese Sherrill will serve as guides. For more information about Restorative Justice on the Rise and the Connection Series, please visit restorativejusticeontherise.org. And for more information about Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, go to rjoyoakland, all one word, dot O-R-G. Thank you and enjoy this conversation. Welcome, everyone, to Restorative Cities. This is Molly Rowan Leach. I'm so glad to be your host today. On behalf of Restorative Justice on the Rise and all of our partner organizations for this very special pre-launch event to our upcoming Connection Series. Um, Just a really brief introduction to you if you don't already know about the Connection Series. It's an opportunity from January to December of next year, 2019, to choose to track with particular guides in restorative justice and peace building. Depending on your level of registration, you can choose up to four different people per month, guides from all over the world and from different pockets of the field to um, work solutions with, ask questions of, and to have really quite intimate time with. Um, So if you're interested in the Connection Series and would like to find out more, there's a little button on the webcast viewer that you might be viewing right now that shows uh, our slides for the presentation today. I want to warmly thank Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth for being with us today. Our two wonderful guests are here in the virtual living room. I'm going to introduce them in just a moment, but I want to just put a shout out to Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth and for all their work that they did at the last conference on restorative justice, national and international conference really, in Oakland, which was in 2017, where I had the pleasure of actually getting some time with one of our guests um, and being able to interview him and hear more about his journey. He happens to be um, a young adult voice in the field and has a lot of powerful insights to share today with us. And of course, that's Tyrese Sherrill. Um, But if you don't know about restorative justice for Oakland youth yet, I'd highly encourage you to go and visit their website, which is Oakland. Dot .org and learn more about all the different areas that they are serving not just in the bay area but the national movement in the north american region as well as i'm sure globally at this point they've served over um probably i'm guessing 5000 youth at this point although we might hear about the statistics in a moment um they provide education and they do trainings on a regular basis. They work within different schools and within the juvenile justice system, to name just a few things. So, again, today's topic is restorative cities, and I'm really looking forward to inviting you to take part in the conversation as well. So if this is your first time here in the room with us, um, go ahead and please submit any questions you'd like to be asked live um, by pressing start to on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to head over to the webcast pane and submit your question there, you can also do that. We'll be monitoring questions and bringing them into the conversation periodically today. So for the next hour, we have the pleasure of being with Dr. Tayasha Bankhead and Tyrese Sherrill. And I would just like to sh- share just a little bit about Tyrese with you and then also, of course, Tayasha. Um, two years ago in Oakland that, at the conference that Tayasha and Fanya Davis co-led with a committee from Arjoy of just a powerhouse 
of of people who um, brought in over 1,300 uh, participants um, and pulled off an incredibly powerful conference. Um, I got a chance to sit down with Tyrese and learn more about his journey and how he came to um, the field of restorative justice as a youth coordinator and community organizer. And um, really looking forward today to hearing from him how how things are going in his sphere and how he's working to support this goal of restorative cities. And Tayasha Bankhead, of course, is the executive director of Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth. And she's a social justice activist, an advocate for restorative justice, a licensed psychotherapist, and a professor with both MSW and PhD degrees in social work from the University of California at Berkeley. She was a research fellow for the National Institute of Mental Health and the United States Psychiatric Congress and served on the Family Council of Spirit Rock Meditation Center. She is co-author with University of California Berkeley Professor Emeritus Jewel Taylor Gibbs of Preserving Privilege, California Politics, Propositions, and People of Color. There's so much about Dr. Bankhead that I'd like to share, but we've only got an hour today together. So I just want to invite both of you, Tyrese and Tayasha, to come on into the room with us. And um, just first of all, a warm welcome to you both. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for that powerful introduction. and, you know, Tyrese, I just want to say, um, you may not have a long list of, like, books or, um, like, boards that you sit on, but your power is felt. And I think it comes from what you've seen, what you've lived, and what you've, you know to be true. And so I'm, I just want to honor that you're here today with us, and thank you um, for what you bring. And I'm wondering if if you might actually start us out, um, if you'd be willing, by sharing what you might think a restorative city is. And just so you know, I have the slide up of the beautiful um, graphic that I believe came from Restorative Justice on, uh, for Oakland Youth. So that's up right now. Yes. Um well, so, you know, my vision um, personally, well, I would just like to, you know, thank you for the opportunity of being, you know, on the show um, and, you know, just having a voice and being heard. I think it's important for uh, for every young person. Um, I think that's one of the pillars of why I do this work in particular is that um, once I, you know, once I was given opportunity to work with Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, uh, you know, it gave me a voice um, and I really felt you know, felt like I had, you know, and they gave me the platform to use it. So um, that was, you know, that was one of the reasons, one of the pillars of why I do this work. But for the vision of, of for a restorative city, you know, um, you know, just diverse, uh, a lot of relationship building, um, you know, centers, uh, you know, better like schooling too as well. Um, and, uh, hey, I mean, it's <laughs> a, so, Oh, kind of caught me off guard there. Um, but it's not really. Let me just, you know, take my time. Um, oh, yeah, I am feeling a little sick, too. You know, I got a little head cold, uh, so sorry about that. Um, but I think, you know, community schools, relationship center schools, uh, um, you know, I think a lot, too, is the reinvestment from the criminal uh, justice system to you know, community-based organizations, I think um, that's what a start off of what the restorative city could look like. Um, mm-hmm. And by the way, thank you for being candid about how you're feeling, um, and certainly no pressure on this end. This is our, our virtual living room to share and, um, you know, creating dialogue together and for real. <laughs> so that's where we're at. Um you know, um, Tyrese, if I may, I, I was reading an article recently written by Oakland Voices, 
and I really appreciated uh, what was within that article. And you had you had mentioned that in response to kind of this conversation about neighborhoods, and you know, you as I think maybe a former resident of East Oakland, or are you still living on in the East currently. Oakland area? Yes, currently I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In this article, you say, it's not hard to live there. It's what I know. I see potential in my neighborhood. And I, I appreciated that. Um, and I wondered if you might, like, tell us a little bit more about what that might mean and, and how that relates to the work that, that you and Teasha and others are doing towards restorative cities. Yeah. Um, I like to look at it as, you know, just a beautiful kind of a beautiful struggle in a sense um you know like i see potential in my city you know based on you know the beautiful people walking around you know and there's a lot of these organizations that's doing beautiful work you know um however you know we're just we're we're suppressed we're not really suppressed because i hate to i hate to you know play the victim role and you know um because i feel like you know we are capable of doing whatever however we are put in certain situations um you know that lead us down the wrong path, like the school-to-prison pipeline, um, you know, foster care-to-prison pipeline, you know, um, and the majority of the people that, you know, incarcerated, as we know it, is, you know, uh, boys and men, boys and men of color, you know, and um, so it's like I see potential um, just based on, you know, the conversations I have with people and, you know, um, and yeah, it just feel like sometimes, you know, it's like we're just, we're, we're dealt certain cards um, that's, keeping us in, you know, in this situation. Um, but I think, you know, the potential could come with, you know, like, just better schooling, you know, for sure. Like, if we just, if we had, like, you know, more, like, community gardens, um, you know, just, like, and actually be in tune with, you know, the politics within our own city, you know, and not let, you know, the um, people, and we'd be the, you know, we'd be the experts of our community, you know, like, doing, like, um, do, you know, conducting our own research and things like that, and not necessarily depending on um, quote unquote outsiders. You know, people from Harvard or Yale. You know, conducting this research on us that you know that they never even touched foot or you know touch on Oakland soil. So um, I think it's a lot about just awareness. You know, uplifting um, our people uh, and you know educating them. I think mm -hmm. that's what. Start, but, how, how are you feeling about the collaborations that are being made? Um, is that a is that something that, that is a part of this work that you're doing specific to rest, the restorative city vision for a restorative yeah, city? Yeah, so I've met you know I met a, a, a lot of people um, and you know just these collaborations like I had it was a collaboration that I did with UC Davis um, and we know we was to plant 330 on South Stockton. Um, and you know, and to to provide you know like to dilute the dilute the pollution to provide shade because it'd be uh, super hot out there and you know and just to and what what we did the collaboration with UC Davis was there was we we got them to um well we tried to get them we didn't try but we got them to so we had like six weeks no like eight weeks we was working with um the the landscaping uh landscaping um team or whatever landscaping class. And uh, we had asked them if they could uh, create a QR code. And with that QR code, we was going to dedicate, you know, we was going to go around asking people, you know, if they wanted a tree. And we would dedicate that tree to, you know, someone that they, that passed. So we, that QR code would, you know, scan and have a bio and name of that person name that's on the tree. So we had a, I did a collaboration with them on that, you know, and I thought it was super beautiful, you know, it just gives, you know, just plant life for mm -hmm. life protection in a sense. Um, also been in a few fellowships i mean so it's really you know it's it's work that's being done you know it's definitely work that's being done and, um you know it's it's, it's hey it's a it's a movement you know and it, i think it's right now it's a, it's history in the making also you know i feel like it's a um danger you know that we got you know da's and the criminal justice and really kind of bowing down asking us about restorative practices and things like that you know so I feel like, you know, it's just changing most definitely. Thank you so much, Tyrese. Um, if you're just joining us, that's Tyrese Sherrill, 
And we also have with us today Tayasha Bankhead, who are both with Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth. And this conversation is centered around the, a vision for a restorative city and restorative cities. So, um, Tayasha, would you like to share a bit about what a restorative city looks like and, and maybe a little background about how this effort began? Sure. Thank you, Molly. I'm happy to share this project that's kind of all-encompassing for our joy. I guess I first want to say something about your earlier comments around the conference, however, and about uh, how Fania Davis and, and I co-chaired the conference and many people from our joy or the entire staff from our joy was involved. That's true, but what's also so important to mention is that um, that effort was a collaboration of over 30 restorative justice organizations in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, we couldn't have pulled it off without that kind of community mm -hmm. of support and of passion and of, you know, kind of synergy that happened. Uh, and it was actually as a result of that effort of coming together uh, with other RJ providers and facilitators um, that we began to pick up on an idea that had originally been thought about by um, some leaders in RJ maybe about four years prior to this, was this idea of a restorative city. But I would say that the vision back then was this kind of a looser um, vision putting forth some values and ideas, but not a real clear plan. And so, um, as a result of the conference and the wonderful relationships that we had with the 30 or so organizations involved in the planning, we uh, began to meet to actually work on creating a detailed, comprehensive, you know, kind of step-by-step -step plan for for the kind of integration and, uh, and rollout of a restorative city here in Oakland. Um, Oakland oftentimes gets thought of and talked about as a restorative city or the restorative city in the United States. And yet we felt like, you know, how accurate or authentic was that kind of label? And so some of us went to whole England, another place that's thought of as the first restorative city in the modern era. Uh, last year, Kat Kohlberg, uh, the program director here, and I went to that conference, and we met lots of people from all over the world who were interested in this concept of restorative cities. Um, and um, there was another restorative cities conference happening in Australia in, in June of this year, and so I actually went there and gave the closing uh, keynote uh, plenary on Oakland as a restorative city. And in the, in the interim between those two conferences, we met with the mayor, we met with multiple um, stakeholders and other RJ organizations and actually kind of drafted what you see in front of you, this vision for a restorative city. And I'll say it's, it continues to be a draft because um, it's, you know, a working document that requires feedback and input from community members. Uh, and stakeholders and all the different kind of institutions that support cultural change uh, throughout the city. But um, this vision for a restorative Oakland is something that feels very natural for our city, and it feels like there is um, a tremendous amount of support. Um, and really, it comes out of the success that we've had, not that our joy has had, but that restorative justice as a movement has had in in Oakland and the surrounding communities. And so beginning with restorative justice for Oakland youth and its implementation of uh, restorative, like whole school restorative justice in, in the Oakland Unified School District, then Oakland Unified School District adopting restorative practices as its official disciplinary policies, hiring 30 restorative justice coordinators, having a budget of $3 million. That felt like the first big win for restorative practices and set the city in motion on this pathway to becoming a restorative city. Then our work in juvenile hall and juvenile camp, uh, interrupting the school-to-prison pipeline, 
um, and working with people who are reentering after um, incarceration, being in custody, people reentering into the community. Those two kind of institutions being involved in the juvenile justice system or the juvenile uh, uh, criminal kind of legal system and being involved in the uh, open public schools in big ways kind of has elevated the voice and the kind of understanding and community of RJ. Uh, we've also done community circles just throughout the communities that are hardest hit by gun violence and homicide. Um, and so those three things together, I think, have elevated just the knowledge of the average citizen in Oakland about restorative practices. And so they have sent people in the for-profit arena and other nonprofit arenas and fam people in families and people um, in child welfare and mental health and trauma response and all these different areas that are identified as institutions that support cultural change. They've all reached out to us for training, for education, or for consultation, and are kind of actively seeking to have a cultural shift within their own organizations and within those institutions to really become more restorative and to become less punitive. And so the vision that we have is that if we all move together in this way, that um, resolving conflict and building community through a restorative justice circle process will become kind of the 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 go-to method of communicating and collaborating and connecting in our city. And really, all, the vision that you see in front of you is kind of an organized way or a visual kind of map of how to get there. Um, but it's really that as the vision in the end that these practices would be available uh, in a broad scale way. Um, to people within our city. Tasha, I want to thank you so much for making sure that we widened the circle um, around that uh, the Oakland Conference. Um, and I just want to thank all the organizations, seen and unseen, named and and not not perhaps named here, but certainly um, a part of what was felt there at that conference. Um, for those of you that may not have been there. It was a powerful event, and there was a felt sense of something there that I certainly am excited to see hopefully continue in Denver in June at the, the next national conference. So thank you for yeah. that. And yeah. I'd, I'd like to just go back. Um, we have such a wonderful global um, participation base with us, and I'm not sure sometimes how many people maybe are really – um, in tune fully with, um, you know, the, the concept of restorative versus punitive or, you know, we take surveys to really get in touch with um, with who's with us and to hear from, from you all. But just for, for the clarity purposes, what does it mean to, to you, Tyrese, and to you, Tayasha, to create something restoratively? What what are some of the basic principles behind the word restorative? Um, I mean, I would definitely say, you know, cultural restoration, like, you know, restore, you know, to be, to, to get back. Um, so I think, you know, like cultural restoration, um, you know, like participatory defense, um, you know, and really just, really just being like, I mean, I think I think it's important to say, like, so back then, like Tiyasha was explaining or, um, earlier, it was like, at first it was just like almost the people was looking at it as a thought form, you know, as something that nobody could really put a finger on. Um, and now, you know, uh, it's starting to evolve because, you know, these, 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 these cultural practices as in, you know, going back and like having these circles and like mediating, you know, conflicts and, and, um, but doing it the right way, doing it, doing it through like um, relationship building, you know, um, about like nine nine point nine people problem problems or conflicts with each other are, um, you know, usually a misunderstanding. So um, you know what we do is we just, you know, we we, we bring that back, you know, instead of instead of I mean instead of you know uh, taking somebody to jail or calling the cops on someone, you know what we'll do or what we'll 
what it, what's been what's been happening is you know we'll sit down and we'll have a conversation where you know the victim or the you know I mean the 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 survivor and the lifer you know um yeah so I think that's really what it is is just like relationship building you know and um just just actually doing things you know in, in a human way um instead of locking people mm-hmm. up and, and treating them like you know caged animals. And Tyrese, does restorative uh, are restorative practices um, upstream of conflict as well in the restorative city model? Mm, can you clarify? Um, like community building circles, things like that. Mm-hmm. You were describing so something. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say that you know we often get called. In when there's conflict, when there's harm, so organizations, individuals, families um, will call when there is conflict, when there's a need for kind of a tier two kind of intervention. However, 90%, 95% of the work that we do is community building, right? It's community building circles rather than harm circles or conflict circles. And um, that creates an environment, a culture where it's easier to lean into um, peaceful resolution of conflict and of harm when it does occur, when everyone sees each other, when there's a deep kind of connection uh, and kind of an authentic deep seeing of community members, no matter how diverse or different their socioeconomic you know, conditions may be or their race, uh, experiences may be or gender or, you know, all the different ways that we might have diversity in, in a circle or in a, in a situation where there's harm that's done. If we have done the work upstream of building community and deeply, truly seeing each other, it allows us to see the humanity in, in others. And so it's really hard to harm as a result of harm when you see a person as a human being and see their full humanity. And so oftentimes we see kind of racialized conflicts where a person of color is seen as a person who's harm, who, 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 who engages in causing harm. And we see either an, another person of color or a white person who um, is harmed, um, who's a person who's harmed. And it's easy for a system, an institution, or, or a family or individual that doesn't know or see the person who is seen as causing the harm to want the most punitive, harsh punishment for them um, if they don't really see them as, as full human beings. And so there's a way that this kind of early upstream work of developing relationships, building community, when there is no conflict, uh, allows us or sets the stage for when there is conflict, being able to lean into that humanity, to see people as full human beings, um, and to recognize that the resolution of a harm is not to, to cause another harm. Uh, that's, that, you know, the core, one of the core philosophies within kind of restorative justice is that hurt people hurt people. And so if you are hurting as a result of being harmed, um, it's easy to hurt someone else, and we try to kind of interrupt that uh, and try to promote this philosophy that healing people are engaged in in healing other people, and so we need to be on that path each and every one of us. Yeah, and, um, I definitely have you know like a personal um, like relationship. I want to say <laughs> with restorative justice itself, um, I have a personal experience like. When I was that, you know, I'm like a walking example of, you know, that this, this, that these practices actually work, you know. Um, I had caught a case when I was 17 years old and I was facing some time, you know, they wanted to actually, um, charge me as an adult, um, and, you know, having sent me to adult court, um, my second, you know, then after that, they tried to give me juvenile life. However, with the, with the, we you know, with the work in the, in the community support, you know, um, they showed up to my courtroom constantly. Um, you know, Fania Davis, um, you know, I could name, but, you know, but our joy in particular was, you know, the head, like the spearhead of really just trying to get me out. 
and um it worked at first what they was trying to do is trying to divert they tried to set up a diversion program for me to get um diverted straight out of the juvenile hall system to a community-based organization um however they said my charges was too serious so and i was already charged with um that that i was already charged with it that they couldn't divert me um but you know that didn't really stop our joy you know they kept showing up and kept you know showing support and um eventually you know the judge took that into consideration and you know it was like yo you got a lot of support you know like um so we're gonna we're gonna give you another chance so i ended up taking a strike and i was sent to I was sent to um, Tahoe to finish high school, which is, you know, one probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I was on a ski team, you know, a basketball team. Um, and also I got my high school diploma. And uh, that that's just, so once I got back, you know, once I got out, you know, I still currently have like uh, probably monthly or try to have monthly um, support groups, support circles with our, our joy. So, you know, they're um, – that's just a, you know just so I won't go back again, and uh, if it wasn't for them looking, if it wasn't for them you know knowing me, and, and if it wasn't for that that relationship that I had with Arjoy, um, it would it would have been ugly, you know. But they they looked at me as they didn't wash their hands with me because they knew, you know, that um, what I was going through at the time was 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 it wasn't a good you know it wasn't good. I think at that time I was probably at the lowest part of my life before I got arrested. Um, so they understood that, and they didn't wash their hands with me. And, you know, they, they they did that, you know, and I'm out now. And so, you know, I think the biggest thank you I could do is, is, you know, come back and just give back as well. You know, like that's the biggest thank you I could give them. And, you know, just so that's why I'm so passionate in doing this work as well, is just that personal experience. Mm-hmm. So we also have this philosophy that we treat our youth the way we would treat our family members. And if any, you know, middle class folks had their children experience an arrest or, you know, or any kind of interaction with the police, we would put all of our resources, all of our passion, all of our, you know, power behind trying to keep them safe, keep them out of custody. And so at our joy, we take that posture with each and every one of the youth that we work with, and we show up in the courtrooms, and we talk to the lawyers, and we, you know, kind of advocate for um, our youth. And we also work with the youth, you know, to to communicate with them that they're loved, that they their life has meaning, um, that we're there with them, and that we will continue to be there with them. Um, and so... That is what I mean by kind of seeing the humanity in others and humanizing um, both for ourselves but for kind of all people. Um, Thank you. And thank you, Tyrese, for being willing to share a bit more about your your own story. No, I think it's Um, important. Yeah, it sure is. And I just want to appreciate you for sharing so openly, like you did when we did our interview a few years ago. Um, I know we have some questions coming in, but I would like to just, again, um, thank you all for your participation today. This is Restorative Cities with Tayasha Bankhead and Tyrese Sherrill. It's not Sherrill's like I accidentally put on our slides today. So my apologies, Tyrese, for the incorrect spelling. But um, you'll get a wonderful opportunity to work with Tyrese and Tayasha throughout next year during this connection series. And this is just a little taste of what might be called a um, timely topic, larger session around um, what people are building in communities and how they're doing that. Um, Mentoring sessions will also be available So uh, also, please check out Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, which is ourjoyoakland.org, and they are one of our wonderful collaborative partners for this upcoming series. So there is a question that I think is a good one to just leap back to around some of the resistances to restorative justice. And so, again, for both of you, whoever would like to field it first, um, Melanie is asking, what resistance 
is there, um, you know, pushback to restorative justice in a community that is most commonly heard or felt? And how do you respond to that? Mm-hmm. This is Tiasha. I can take that. I would say the most, com- well, RJ is commonly or most often implemented in schools and in the criminal justice system. And so in schools um, and in, in, the, in the criminal legal system, what we find is that there are some teachers, administrators, probation officers who feel like they, that RJ is low on accountability. They would argue sometimes it's low on punishment, and we agree. We don't feel that punishment is the answer. But we believe that it's important to be kind of high on support and high on accountability. But there's some some people, because of the way they've been socialized, that they equate accountability with punishment. It's hard for them to imagine high accountability without punishment. Um, without it hurting the person who's thought of as causing the harm. That there, there's some people because of their kind of worldview and cultural orientation that they feel like the only way you can have change is if you harm someone as a result of them harming someone. So I would say that's where the biggest resistance is, is around that cultural shift uh, around this kind of notion of accountability having being possible without harm without continuing the harm and so let me just say well yeah go ahead i know i would would just like to add so i think you know i think our our system in general the system that we're living currently in you know is not it has not been working and it's not working um especially it's been resistant against um boys and men of color people of color um in general so i feel like you know just getting at just Coming at it as a, in a different approach, you know, would be the only answer. But uh, specific, you know, um, barriers, you know, I think would be, shoot, we got, you know, um, the school system in general. You know, we got the we got the teachers, you know, teachers that don't really care school to, you know, um, kids to counselors. You know, the ratio to that is like five hundred to one. You know, it's not enough. It's not enough support for the kids. You know, um, it's it's like just more of a job. Uh, so that's. You know, that's for the education system. But when it comes down, you know, to the criminal justice system, you know, um, they don't want that. You know, it's jobs. You know, people, these are people's jobs. You know, um, the judges, uh, uh, lawyers, um, the CEOs, you know. So with that, we got to provide alternatives, you know. So it's money that is money to be, you know, it's money needed to, to actually do the restorative work as well. So we got a lot of uh, barriers on that. So. It's you know it's it's a lot. I just think the system that we're dealing with right now is is resisting in general. You know. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. So the other things to note, which I think are very important, is that the local school system, uh, the Unified School District here in Oakland, has responded um, to to this statistically significant changes in the schools that have restorative justice. So um, in those schools that have restorative justice versus those that do not, uh, we had a 60% increase in graduation rates, 128% increase in reading levels, a 68% reduction in chronic absenteeism, and um, a 56% reduction in dropout. And so when we were able to demonstrate statistically significant changes in, in directions that kind of improve student learning outcomes, school, this school district was able to invest $3 million into RJ. So I would say that the resistance has been around not having those quantifiable kind of outcome measures that demonstrate how successful um, you know, a school system, a school or a school district is um, that implements restorative practices and principles. But when we do that, we do see that, that there's a response from institutions. Those are very uh, moving numbers, impressive. And I'm just wondering, um, is there any research that since, I mean, we know that Oakland is considered one of 
the most respected guides, I mean, there's many, of course, and many people in this field working within schools and education, but it appears that Oakland really has led the way um, timeline-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you've, you've been at it for a, at least a decade in schools in Oakland, correct? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Uh, okay. And so just the question I, I'm, I'm trying to get to is, is there evidence around Tier 1 practices being conducive to those numbers as well as, of course, the responsive two and three, Tier 2 and 3 practices, which are specific to conflict response? So when I say Tier 1, I, I guess I'll let you share that, Tayasha. Yeah. Would you explain yeah, what yeah. Tier 1 means? And Thank you. So. Yeah. Um, so tier one is, as I was talking about earlier, those community building circles where there isn't an identifiable conflict or harm that you're responding to, but you're building community. And and as I also said earlier, 90 to 95 percent of the circles that we do in schools or that are done in schools or anywhere for that matter are those circles. It's not just about conflict uh, and harm that is occurring, but it's about developing relationships. So any outcomes that we find in in the school district anywhere is mostly about that. Do you know what I mean? It is primarily about that relationship building that Tyrese mm-hmm. is talking about that comes from these from a culture of compassion and connection. And that culture of compassion and connection is nurtured through these uh community building relational, you know, kind of uh, experiences that people have in circle, um, as well as just, you know, those restorative conversations that happen in a whole school restorative justice setting. So I should also say that, you know, Oakland has been <clears throat> kind of like a flashpoint of, of kind of a rollout, a snowball of restorative practices in schools and in other systems, <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, the whole state of California is really taking on RJ, and particularly in schools. Um, we were recently funded by the California Endowment to uh, lead a statewide effort uh, to develop a community of practice around uh, teachers and administrators who can get consultation and support around restorative practices through virtual circles that will be held a couple times a month over the next two years. Uh, We were also funded to develop a a restorative justice kind of research institute around efficacy of these practices in schools. And we were also, we also got some support to help um, to resist the kind of negative, this resistance to restorative justice practice that the first, I guess, uh, question was about. So creating a media campaign to just educate teachers and administrators about the virtues of restorative practices and the impact that they have on schools and, and children learning, student learning outcomes um, with, and also combating this idea about an absence of accountability. So all three of those things. Yeah, we were. State is really working on. All right, so actually, we were also funded by the by um by the state uh youth reinvestment fund. We actually got thirty seven thirty thirty seven point two million dollars uh, reinvested from criminal justice system to uh the community based organization. Um, and that was led by uh who was it led by? I forgot who was led by, but. Um, we asked for a hundred million dollars. We allocated for a hundred million dollars. Um, however, they gave they gave us thirty seven point three. So that you know that was the first ever uh, youth reinvestment fund. So it's definitely um, history in the making right there. Wow. Wow. This this is really great news. I'm 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 really and moved to hear this. I, this is the first time I'd heard of I'm your recent that, development. So. You know, they wouldn't even put that on the news, you know. Um, you ain't going to find that on the news, however. And it, it, the fund was also to um, be proactive instead of reactive, too. So it was to fund um, for pre-arrest, you know, uh, diversions and things like that. So It's, so it's important to note also. Okay. Please go ahead, Tasha. Please. Um, I was just going to say it's important to note that 
this vision for a restorative city really goes beyond what happens in schools and in the criminal legal system and even in communities, but also to address community building and harm in families and for-profit and, you know, in government. And it came out of kind of the questions and, that we have been receiving over the last few years from these organizations and institutions asking for our help, mostly as an entrance through conflict. Um, so like the California State Legislature contacted us about um, some conflicts that were happening with sexual misconduct around uh, elected officials and um, what was happening with their staffing, uh, their staffers who were experiencing this sexual harm and sexual harassment but didn't want to really report it because they knew that these elected officials would likely lose their jobs, and actually two of them did. But the legislature was investigating what are some other uh, less punitive measures of repairing harm uh, and stopping, you know, harm from being ongoing, but coming up with solutions that would be more restorative. And so uh, we addressed the California legislature around those possibilities. We've had for-profit organizations contact us about their own internal harm, wanting these circles. Some foundations have um, reached out to us, national ones, for their for these internal harms that they've had, um, as well as other nonprofits. And so we just see that there's such a great need and there is an impulse and an interest in using restorative practices rather than kind of punitive ones to resolve these conflicts. I, I think a, a lot of that has to do with it too is, you know, healing, you know, trauma. You know, we're like we've been traumatized. Well, you know, just well there's a lot of people that's going through trauma, you know, that haven't recovered. Um, you know, and I think we've been kind of dealing with it um, the wrong way. Um, so I, I think, you know, with the restorative practices, uh, it's really hitting, hitting targets, you know, hitting so we can heal, you know, heal instead of hurt. And I think that that's one of the um, core, you know, one of the core principles and core core reasons why we really do this work is just to heal, you know, heal from the trauma that um been passed down, you know, transgenerational trauma, you know, our parents, uh, haven't, I mean, some of our parents, you know, haven't, um, trauma, I mean, have been healed from the trauma that they've been through, uh, as a child, you know, um, and I think, so, you know, a lot of, a lot has to do with just our language, the way we speak, you know, we'll, you know, cause sometimes or a lot of times the oppressor becomes, become the oppressor, you know, the abuse becomes the abuser. So, um, I think one of the core, you know, the main, one of the main reasons, you know, is just, just to heal, you know, and just to find out a way. Since we've been failed, you know, um, all of these years, our parents didn't fail, um, our grandmothers didn't fail, you know, our grandparents, you know, um, we've been failed by the system. And um, right now is to really figure out a way to heal just so we can all just have a peace of mind, you know, in a sense, really. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. We've been thinking about this issue of kind of uh, epigenetics, which is what you're talking about, Tyrese, you know, just kind of the the multi-generational mm-hmm. impact of um, trauma or of the, you know, experiences that our ancestors have. And and we've been thinking about that and its relationship to kind of indigenous practices and restorative justice. And so Sonia Davis, the founder of the organization, has kind of a PhD. She has a, she's a lawyer, so she has a law degree, but she also has a PhD in uh, traditional healing practices and has um, trained in South Africa with some traditional healers. And so our jo- our joy is known, um, I would say, certainly in the Bay Area and nationwide, as an organization that infuses traditional healing practices into our circle processes. And so in keeping that tradition going, um, after Fania's departure, um, I have been just encouraging our staff to get to, you know, accumulate more kind of training and experiences with traditional healers. And so as a result of all of that, we're all traveling to South Africa next month. Uh, we're going to study with a, um, a Sangoma, wow. who's a traditional African healer in mm. South Africa, uh, a woman who does opening the opening prayers for the legislature there in South Africa. And uh, we're going to be living with her in her institute and 
for about 10 days, you know, going out into the bush and collecting um, experiences and, 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 um, and basically learning the traditional ways of healing that we can then bring back um, to infuse into our work here. So the, all of the, all of the full-time staff and uh, part-time staff who want to go will be on that trip and we'll be documenting it and we'll have videos on our website showing the, the experiences and the work there. Mm, that's really wonderful. It feels very whole. Mm-hmm what you're mm-hmm. describing and honoring. Yeah. Um, may I go to another question? I know we have about eight minutes before we're going to close our session together today. And um, Linda has, I think, maybe a question that is tying directly into what we've just been talking about. And she asks, how is implicit bias addressed safely in restorative justice? Thank you, Linda. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Linda. I'm passionate. This is Tiasha. I'm passionate about this question because it it has come up so frequently in conflict circles um, and in community building, but particularly in, uh, when there's harm and when there's conflict, there oftentimes is a kind of um, often racialized, but sometimes about gender or sexual orientation, but this kind of assumption uh, about the other group that is fueling certain kinds of behavior. So um, racialized implicit bias particularly is something that we see kind of over and over again, so much so that our joy developed um, an implicit bias and restorative justice training that will be um, launching in the coming months. Uh, And Fania Davis and I will be co circle keeping for that training. We believe that there is significant implicit bias, racial implicit bias in say suspensions and expulsions um, in schools that kind of lead that lead to um, fueling uh, the, the school to prison pipeline. And so we're working with a few school districts in California that see these as internal challenges, they want to do something about it, um, and they don't know how. Because, you know, implicit bias is something that happens automatically. It's not something that someone intentionally is trying to do. If you talk to someone about their own implicit bias, you talk to a white person about implicit bias uh, in their interactions with people of color, um, they may not they, they might tell you that they're not acting in any way that's biased, or they may not, it may be unconscious uh, and there oftentimes is a lot of shame and guilt around it. And so we are, we believe that RJ Circles and RJ Circle training is a wonderful way of moving from unconscious to conscious so that this bias thinking, um, so that something can be done about it. So that, that the, that the bias action can be interrupted. And so we have, um, we have in trial, used a few of the strategies and techniques that we plan to use in this um, full training on, you know, kind of in using restorative justice to interrupt implicit bias or to eliminate implicit bias. And so we're excited about that. But, yeah, it, it requires a lot of vulnerability, um, maybe some tears, you know, a lot of kind of emotional uh, availability of the people who are who are in the room, and we've seen that um, the RJ kind of circle process creates an environment where people are willing to go there and to be vulnerable together and to heal themselves um, in the process. Wow, that's going to be a fabulous training. Um, did you want to tell people a little bit more about? like the logistics of how to find out more information is it and mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's going to be in Oakland or yes well we'll probably offer it annually um and this the first training will be in the spring we haven't determined the exact date of it but probably no sooner than March and no later than about June uh, but you can check on our website okay. for the date of that training but we will talk to roll well, it out and, and for you know, those... we are 
for the for those who will be tracking with you, um, they'll they'll know when the the dates are announced. So yeah. that's one of the objectives of the connection series is to help people connect um, virtually um, in problem sharing, solutions building, challenges, but also to know what the activities are of the particular guides in their immediate spheres and communities. And that would be an example of one excellent opportunity to to take part in. Um, I, we do have a few more questions, and I'd like to, to pose this last one um, um, at least before we do a little bit of closing together. Uh, as it ties back into the conversation we've had today around restorative cities, um, mm -hmm. I know that there's a lot going on in our world around um, responding to, and, and increasingly so over the last decade, it, it appears, to a world that's quite in turmoil. Um, there's been civic movements such as the Charter for Compassion from Karen Armstrong, I believe, and you know that that actually had impact, and I think still does um, worldwide. And Bradley is asking, um, basically, thank you, Bradley, for this question. It ties this in well. Um, how do communities begin to explore becoming a restorative justice city? First of all, and are there civic partnerships, such as proclamations or partnerships with mayors, or you know, what what kind of level of movement? is this wanting to evolve into? Mm -hmm. um, this is Tiasha. I think we, I think that it's important to have civic partnerships, but I think that we can't give this up to the government, right? We can't give this up to those institutions, mostly because we don't trust their integrity in this process. Uh, we believe that it should be owned by the people. Um, who are most affected by mm -hmm. um, policies and um, by conflict. So we have the strong support of the Oakland mayor, Mayor Libby Schaaf. Um, and quietly, she is a true believer in restorative justice. Her first 100 days of office, she, she didn't publicize this at all, but during her first 100 days of office, she sat in circle with 100 youth. She sat in circle, 10 circles of 10, uh, throughout the city. She didn't want to go to the private schools or the schools that were, you know, upper middle class. She went to juvenile hall and juvenile camp and the parts of the city that were most hard hit by poverty and violence and gentrification um, because she wanted to speak directly to young people and to hear what they had to say about their experiences. So I think engaging our civic leaders in this process and actually them participating is the best way to kind of hook them in that they then uh, become convinced that these practices are their the worldview and the way of operating that they wish to embrace rather than a punitive one. So I think I think you know the way that we have done this is through schools and juvenile hall and juvenile camp and then in community. So just in community centers and churches and temples and synagogues, holding RJ circles and community circles, community building, you know, circles, just inviting people in. We've done it also through um, the infusion of art. So after we hold a, a community building circle in a community, we will have kind of the painting of, uh, of art, of, of, you know, painting of a canvas or doing a broken bowl art project together so that we're building community, having conversation, listening to music, uh, and creating something uh, together. So that, those are the ways that, that we have done it and we, or that we're, and we're still on this pathway, of course, but, um, we believe that that's critical. I think it's also important to have, you know, to train in, um, in big ways. So one of the international projects that we're in, engaged in right now is doing some training in, in Kenya. Uh, we, several of the staff members, six of us are traveling to Nairobi in uh, May to work with the Minister of Education and with um, 10 schools outside of Nairobi 
uh, that will, we're training this one nonprofit organization staff, and we're also training um, 60 teachers from these 10 schools, and we're also training 60 youth. All of this is being done to uh, resist um, the, to, to get youth to resist uh, the violence that occurs prior to elections. So elections in Nairobi are supposed to be in Kenya are supposed to be in 2022. And each time that elections happen, the youth are encouraged by some of the candidates to burn down schools. And so we can anticipate this. And it, some of it has to do with inter-ethnic conflict and issues of power and socioeconomic status and tribal affiliations. But um, we are going in to do this initial training with the hope that it will be self-propagating and will spread throughout kind of the nation. So we believe that both through civic, you know, partnerships and engagement as well as grassroots partnership and engagement that we can kind of develop, you know, restorative cities. Also, um, I would like to add, so this is Tyrese, um, I would like to add, you know, just to be kind of demanding in a sense, you know, and um, you know, be the experts in your community, you know, and get up and go, like I was saying at first, like doing participatory action research, going out and um, conducting the research, you know. Uh, for example, it was it was one, I had led a, um, I led a YPAR uh, group, so that's youth participatory action research. So what I did was I got these, I had a group of kids, uh, a group of, group of youth, and um, I had them conduct their own research on the city that they stayed in. So it was in Stockton, um, and what they did, they come up with the, they came up with the, um, the surveys, they came up with the survey questions. Everything was youth led, everything. Um, so it was all up to them how they was going to do the research um, and everything. So what we did was, um, at the end of when we got all the data collected and we felt good about it, we threw it through that youth summit. And the first, the first summit was the first day summit um, was to just to just to give give the um, community, you know, spread awareness to the community and let them, and give them all of the data that we collected, you know, and um, kind of just educated them. And then on the second day, we had all of these authority figures. So we had the sheriff, we had, um, like, the judge, we had some judges there, lawyers, um, the, the, the DA. And um, what we did, we, you know, we just had to sit on a platform, like a panel in the community, in the community asking the questions, you know, communities start asking the questions on, you know, the problems that they think was going on um, based on the, the research that we collected. So I think it's really just about being demanding, too, you know, and just going out there and doing it. And the story that you share, um, Tyrese, so openly about your experiences and what could have been, I think is a powerful presence um, in just being the person who is the change, as you are. You know, you... you you were changed by restorative justice. Um, and thankfully, you're in the community supporting the movement. I'm really grateful for that because it could have been a lot different, right? Most definitely. A lot worse. So I know that um, this has been such a powerful session with you both, and we're about five minutes after the hour, so we probably need to move into closing. But I'd I'd love to hear just a few thoughts from each of you, closing thoughts, as well as what do you what do you think is important about this upcoming connection series? And um, thank you so much for being willing to be guides for it um, for next year, each month. I guess this is Tiasha. I think what's so critical is um, the voice, the questions, the engagement of of our large community, um, and I mean the community of RJ facilitators, triple keepers, practitioners throughout the world who would have access mm -hmm. to the Connection series, you know, just getting those real lived experiences in the conversation um, so that we can hear each other, you know, truly understand each other and learn from each other. So, you know, we can share our experiences, but we're constantly learning. And um, we are all, I know at our joy, we are called to this work. Uh, all of us would do it, whether we're paid or not. You know, we do it because we don't feel we have a choice but to do it. Mm. And mm -hmm. um, I believe that I likely share that with people all over the planet. And I only think that 
when we can fully kind of embrace that together, that we can deliver these communities, um, our own communities, to healthier places. So, yeah, I have a lot of hope and anticipation and excitement about the Connection Series. Thank you, Tiasha. Um, um, well, some closing thoughts. I think it's just important to also know that whoever is doing, you know, this restorative justice work that, you know, is done right, um, you know, and that it's, people got the proper, the proper training for it, um, you know, and I think that's how it goes back to defeating the, um, the bias part, but I'm just excited, you know, to, um, I'm excited to, to, you know, for what's coming, and I have hope, um, you know, in that connections like this is always good, um, you know, because it just extended, extends the family in a sense. Um, so I am just have hope, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you both again so much, and thank you to all of you from so many different parts of the world who have been with us during this live session today. And, of course, as I've mentioned a couple times now, strongly invite you and encourage you to consider being a part of the Connection Series, but more so to find out about Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth and all these wonderful trainings and opportunities that they're doing, both in the Bay Area and in a much wider scope. So, um, again, it's been my pleasure. This is Molly Rowan Leach. Restorative Justice on the Rise is your host. I want to, again, thank Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, Living Justice Press, the River Phoenix Center for Peacebuilding, Restorative Circles, Conflict 180, Stories Matter Media, Joe Brummer, Circles, the documentary, and um, in addition, just to honor the wisdom and presence of Growing a Global Heart and Bellevue Rooks and the Life of Dedon Gills. James O.D., Lauren Abramson, and all of our other inspirations and potential future partners, including your organization, if you would like to get more involved in the Connection Series and get some exposure with a global network, please email us at the um, email address that's shown on the slide on your webcast. So once again, thank you for this conversation today, Tayasha, Tyrese, and um, thank you for sharing all the wonderful news and updates, too, that you have from your immediate work in the field. Until next time, everyone, thank you again. Thank you, Molly. Goodbye now. Bye.